Good evening, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. This is the Wednesday, December 20th, 2017 edition of our little podcast, our little weather get-together. And uh, tonight, we're happy to have on Dr. Marshall Shepard with us. Uh, you know Marshall from the uh, Weather Channel's Weather Geeks. He's also a professor at the University of Georgia and rides for Forbes.com. So Marshall, uh, a little bit of everything in the weather world. So we're uh, pleased to have Marshall joining us for our third uh, for the third year. So uh, this has become a, an annual thing for uh, Marshall to join us here towards the uh, in part or latter part of uh, December. So we appreciate having Marshall back with us. Uh, we are uh, live tonight, so uh, there's numerous ways you can follow us. Uh, Along with the conversation, you can uh, watch us on the Facebook Live or Periscope uh, or our YouTube Live uh, um, setting as well. And if uh, you're listening on the uh, rebroadcast or the podcast later on, uh, you uh, can listen through uh, many of our uh, uh, podcast uh, downloads, Google Play and, and things like that. So uh, again, uh, live broadcast, if you want to uh, interact with us tonight, please feel free to. Uh, you can tweet us at Carolina WX Group or comment on either of the live streams. We'll be monitoring those throughout the night and make sure if you have any questions, we get them to uh, Mr. Shepard. So with that, we are uh, kind of running on some time. So we're going to skip the introductions uh, this evening and uh, we'll save a weather talk for uh, after nine o'clock. So with that, I'm going to give it to Ricky Matthews, who is in a different location tonight. Ricky, it looks like you're covering for the chief. Yeah, it's one of those weeks where everyone takes off and uh, weekenders take over, as I like to say. But uh, we're, we're still watching that potential for a few snowflakes. Everyone's still excited about that. But the big story is like, like three or four inches of rain before that. So lots to talk about tonight. But uh, Dr. Shepard, so glad to have you join us once again. Uh, like Scotty said, this has really become a yearly tradition, and we're so glad you could join us. Hey, I'm glad we could make it work. Now, you know, the recent outage in Atlanta killed all our Weather Geeks tapings this week, so I'm actually available. Actually, we were good for tonight anyhow. Did, did, did how widespread was that outage? Did it actually impact parts of the metro, or no? It was just I don't know if uh, your uh, your your viewers or listeners uh, the Atlanta Hartsville International Airport, which is the busiest airport in the world and hub for Delta and and many other airlines. Uh, I think they were out of power maybe about six hours or so Sunday afternoon, but uh, maybe even longer than that. But it literally just shut down the the entire system and so uh, people couldn't get in for Sunday and Monday. We were we were taping two weather geeks Monday night, but we had to uh, cancel that because our both guests that we were flying in couldn't oh. get in. Gotcha. Well you know it's kind of ironic that we get at the end of the year and something like that shuts down a major airport. We've had so many cities this year kind of shut down by, by major weather disasters. Let's uh, kind of start from the beginning. Anything that stands out to you? I know we were going into 2017 and there was a lot of especially early in the hurricane season talk about uh, what this season would be like with El Nino, La Nina, and the Enzo. Anything that kind of stands out in the early part of the year to you? Yeah, well, we weren't in an El Nino, so obviously that sets the stage for certain things we could expect throughout the year anyhow. Uh, and I think, I'm sure we'll talk about it a little bit later, but the hurricane uh, season certainly bore out uh, the promises of what, what many of the projections were suggesting. But if you guys recall, uh, earlier in the year, we had some pretty significant severe weather outbreaks in the south, uh, parts of the Midwest. There were a, a, a couple of significant uh, uh, high-risk days that were issued. Uh, so uh, even we, we talked a little bit about that with Angela Fritz from Capital Weather Gang on Weather Geeks last week. Just those high-risk days that early and sort of the notion that those were issued, that, that kind of got some folks' attention even earlier on. So I don't know what you guys thought about that. Yeah, remember the uh, Georgia high-risk day that kind of, uh, the, there were some storms, I don't think as many as expected, there was a Florida high-risk day, I think maybe they were the same exact days, but that one stands out to me earlier in the year. Yeah, it was just kind of unusual, and you know, uh, we were talking about that for 15 and 16, we didn't have any high-risk days at all, uh, and then we had those earlier in the season. For here in Georgia, um, if, I guess for some time, though, we were kind of tornado capital here in my home state a while earlier this year. Uh, and then, of course, you know, in, in, uh, earlier in the year, I guess it was around February or so, we had the flooding up in California. I mean, I think that was kind of a significant story uh, in itself. You know, you had the dam break there uh, or the dam breach or the spillway issues going on, if you guys remember that in California. So, um, you know, it's sort of interesting that we went from sort of feast to famine in the sense that we went from this really wet period earlier in the year to now uh, dry period, the Santa Ana winds, the Diablo winds that we saw earlier in the year with the fires up in the Bay Area and the wine country. So, I mean, 2017 gave it gave us all uh, anything you wanted, we had. You know, the one thing kind of stands out to me, though, was this 
besides the the storms in the southeast, I can't remember many big tornado outbreak days this year in yeah. the Central Plains in typical tornado alley. Um, any reason you think that may be the case? No, I think we'd have to. Ha- you got to have this guy named Ashton um, Ashton White on. He actually is very good at sort of this notion of the El Nino, La Nina, and outbreaks in the Midwest. Yeah, if you're interested in some of that sort of work, definitely look up some of his papers that he's published. But you know, I, you know, I, there's been people that have speculated uh, about you know the relationship between sort of uh, neutral to sort of trending to a La Nina pattern and what that means for outbreaks. Uh, Victor Gensini, who I don't know if you've had him on Carolina Weather Group. So Certainly his, his work looking at sort of the sort of angular momentum pattern of the jet stream uh, suggests that there are some clues to why we weren't seeing those outbreak days. By the way, shout out to Victor Gensini. Go check out his website because he really he is doing some long term forecasting uh, using this sort of angular momentum. He kind of has this really I don't know all the details of his calculation, but he looks at how wavy the jet stream patterns are, are the wave train patterns around the world. And he comes up with this calculation in terms of outbreak prediction. And he's keeping track of the statistics. So check it out and see how he's doing. We'll get our chief booking officer, uh, Scotty Powell, on that one and get him yeah, on yeah, here pretty yeah, soon. Jim Senior will definitely come on. He's at Northern Illinois now. He used to be at College of DePage. So. We did have, we had Victor on, um, but I will have to reach out to Ashton White. That sounds like an interesting topic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah this, this um, is all about teleconnections uh, to, all around the globe. It's really fascinating work they do. Yeah, the teleconnections. Uh, for I mean, I'm sure you know, you've got a very weather geek or weather um, uh, attentive audience. But you know, for those that maybe just kind of popping in, you know, these teleconnections are these things that happen where you get a, a, a large scale change happening somewhere around the globe, but it impacts somewhere else downstream. The most famous example, obviously, is what happens with El Nino or La Nina, where you get changes in the jet stream pattern, which impacts weather in South Carolina, North Carolina, and Georgia. Uh, there's another interesting one that one of my colleagues at the University of Georgia, James uh, knows him, Dr. Tom Moat, has done some work where he looks at the snow cover in Siberia, uh, and he can uh, determine some things about what our, our winters are going to be like uh, and summers based on snow cover over in Siberia. So that's another interesting teleconnection. So when we're talking about things like Ricky's question about um, outbreaks and outbreak days, um, we certainly have to look at the short-term weather uh, patterns, but we also have to look at these sort of teleconnections and what they mean for jet stream patterns and um, the the ability to support the type of tornadic uh, outbreak days that we would expect. You know, 2017, one of the things that stands out to me, uh, big advancements in weather technology between Goes R. Uh, we had a GFS upgrade, I believe, and a few other weather models continuing to be upgraded. Na- the, you know, the NAM was upgraded, and I'm <laughs> going to mention that because in our recent snow here in Atlanta, that essentially gave us almost a foot in some parts of Atlanta, the NAM model sniffed that out. But no, everybody was like, "Ask the NAM." So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, not only that, yeah. we got got the February storm last year, or I'm sorry, earlier this year, it, it got that one by the back end of the winter season, too. It was really, um, it's really something to watch nowadays. The, the three think, yeah, Shay, I think that's right. I think we have to get used to the fact that the NAM has been upgraded. It's still not the Euro, but I think we need to probably pay a bit more attention to it than perhaps some of us do. Talk about goes uh, 16 and goes R for a minute. Yeah. Uh, if you had to sum that up in just a few words, how would you sum up that satellite and the changes it's made? Two words, game changer. Uh, it's uh, one of the things that we see with GOES-16. I think it's now officially GOES-East. Uh, it, it went from this sort of GOES-R to GOES-16 to now it's officially in its parking orbit as GOES-East. I mean, the, the spatial and temporal resolution of this thing is providing views of the weather at the scale the weather is happening, whether we're talking about a rapidly evolving supercell system with uh, overshooting tops uh, and perhaps in the IR, the warm B-notch for those of you that had some satellite meteorology, uh, you know that uh, in addition to the overshooting tops, that can bring down some warm air into the anvil region of the cloud, and you'll get a warm brightness temperature. So I'm, I'm pulling off some of my SATMET from University of Georgia that I just taught this semester. But w- the point in that is we can actually see that at the scale that it's actually happening because of the time resolution, the spatial resolution. Uh, same thing with, as I was looking at the hurricane season, looking at some of the eyewall replacement cycle and some of the mega hurricanes that we saw this summer. And GOES-16 is allowing us to really kind of look at what I like to say is look at the weather at the scale the weather is happening rather than trying to interpolate or infer it. And of course, the other big 
game changer on Go 16 is the uh, geostationary lightning mapper. I mean, that's a one of its kind instrument. We've got a lightning mapper in a geosynchronous orbit giving us continuous uh, views of lightning. While that's interesting from the standpoint that, oh, yeah, look, there's lightning there in the Midwest. Well, there may be some relationships between the lightning activity and something uh, that your viewers may be familiar with called the, the two sigma jump, uh, sort of this notion of lightning activity and the, the sort of statistical properties of its activity may hint at tornadic activity. So that opens up all kinds of new pathways for not only forecasting, but also research. Yeah, and well, don't forget JPS, JPSS just launched too. I, I always say Goes uh, 16 is kind of like the shiny uh, sports car on the lot at the car dealership, but JPSS is the old workhorse truck. Not as flashy, but the data that's coming from those polar orbiting satellites or a lot of what's being assimilated or fed into the GFS and the Euro model. So. I was just about to bring that up. I was going to say, you know, viewers know you used to work at NASA at one time, uh, JPSS, one that didn't get a ton of attention, but one to me is kind of a hidden gem in the weather satellite era. Yeah, you know, there's so many hidden gems. I mean, I, I mean, you know, I think the average weather enthusiast knows about GOES and perhaps JPSS, but, you know, you know, the GPM satellite, which is one of the missions that I helped develop when I was at NASA and various others, there are, I mean, there are a ton of data sets. You know, people always get into the whole Euro versus GFS and why it's better. The bottom line, folks, whoever's listening, is that the European model trends to be a little bit better because of the data assimilation scheme that they're using. Uh, data assimilation means they have data coming into the model. They use a four-dimensional or 4D data assimilation, which means that they can map out the atmosphere three-dimensionally, but then they're updating it in time because of this sort of the faster computers that they use, and they're feeding in all the satellite data, JPSS, the instruments from that, GPM radiances for rainfall. So that's the reason, in a nutshell, it's not, well, I guess it is kind of rocket science because we're talking about satellites, but it's not really rocket science because it's really the data assimilation, the faster computers. 90 plus percent of satellite data is assimilated into these models. So if we all of a sudden take those satellite data sets out of the models, uh, we're going to have a lot of busted forecasts all over the place. Let's uh, let's talk about changes for a second because you know we got early in this year. Obviously, we had a new administration change, and we had some fears of budget issues and budget concerns. And we have lost a few programs. We've uh, kind of increased budgets in a few other departments. Give us just kind of a, an overview of the changes we've seen and maybe the changes we will see in 2018. Well, you know, with the new administration coming in, you know, their initial budget was just ridiculous for weather. I mean, it really cut NOAA's satellite program, the Office of Research. It was cutting out things like the Sea Grant program. North Carolina and South Carolina have, are both Sea Grant states, as is Georgia. Um, there was just a frankly, a disaster budget, but bipartisanship in Congress actually has really been our friend, uh, Republican and Democrat alike in the Senate and Congress, because they realize that weather and climate information coming from NOAA and NASA satellite programs and others are vital to our national security, to the gross domestic product, uh, to air aviation uh, and whatnot. So I would say for now, I think that things are a bit better, a bit healthier. I mean, you know, I think a lot of people are watching very closely uh, the recent uh, nomination of Barry Myers as the head of NOAA. Uh, I think there's some concerns that some people have about that nomination. He just went through his confirmation hearing last week, as a matter of fact. Uh, I don't know what, the, I, I don't, I think that it was voted out of committee, but I don't know if it's been confirmed by the full Senate yet. Uh, we're still waiting to see if uh, Congressman Jim Bridenstine uh, will be confirmed as the NASA administrator, the head of NASA. He's a congressman. You might not know the name, but if you know the big weather bill, that was another big part of 2017, by the way, that we should have mentioned. Uh, the Weather Improvement Forecasting Act was passed and signed by President Trump. It was actually going to be signed by President Obama last year, but there was a last minute delay uh, because of some political posturing uh, over some water issues in the state of Georgia, frankly. Uh, but that was that is a huge thing that happened in 2017 that might not be on people's radar screen, but it's going to really significantly upgrade some of the responsibilities of NOAA in terms of modeling capacity, uh, commercialization of weather data in some regards using commercial data sets. Congressman Jim Bridenstine of Oklahoma was one of the key congressmen pushing and getting that bill through. Uh, you've had the opportunity to, to testify on Congress's behalf a few times about weather stuff. We see a lot of times uh, 
Congress tasking NOAA or tasking the Weather Service to go out and do a study on something. What's the process with that? When they go out, they do a study, and then they have to report back. Where does it go after that? Well, it just depends. I mean, sometimes there will be these in these bills, there will be these direct tasks that go out and find a commercial vendor that can provide global precipitable water measurements from uh, some type of occultation method or whatever. Uh, other times that study, go for, you heard me mention NOAA's Office for Research. Uh, NOAA, NASA, they have research budgets and they will send out an RFP. I mean, it'll go out and say, hey, we need this measurement or, hey, we want research on hurricane intensification probably. And they'll package it in a, a research program of some type. And then people like me at universities or at NASA labs or NOAA research labs write proposals. And they send those proposals in and say, hey, we, we're smart here at the University of Georgia. We know how to do that. I can bring on these people and we can do it. So that's how it works. You send these proposals in. They are peer-reviewed by experts, and then NASA or NOAA or whomever select down-selects who they want to do that work, and that's how that's kind of how it gets done. Some of it gets then published in the peer-reviewed research, but if it's a more directed if task, for example, if National Weather Service says, hey, I need a new algorithm that can tell me if there's rain or snow based on correlation coefficient in a dual-pole radar, uh, that might be something that's more t- highly tasked, so there'll be some kind of report generated or deliverable that is uh, sent to the NASA, I'm sorry, the National Weather Service managers or whatnot. So. Okay. Uh, let's segue a little bit. Scotty, you had a question? Yeah, Dr. Shepard, um, we're talking about changes and stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me, a little hoarse there. Uh, the National Weather Service is doing a few things with the hazard simplification. Yeah. Uh, no more freeze and rain advisories, a blizzard warnings, things like that. Uh, I know you're big on communication and, and trying to simplify the weather uh, weather lingo between us to the public. So what do you think of those moves? I think it, it's a, they're no-brainer, Scotty. Next, If you're at a holiday dinner n- next week or later this week, ask your aunt what a PDS means or, or what, what a polygon means. <laughs> what a, I mean, I mean, we, these are things that are sort of, they mean stuff to us, but I mean, you know, the, if, if, go and look. I mean, I challenge you all or your listeners, go and Google all of the different combinations of National Weather Service watches and warnings that are out there. Just look at the ones that are there for floods alone. I mean, it, it's it's unbelievable. And so I know they're meaningful to us, but to the public, they just want to know the details. So uh, having said that, however, Scotty, having said that, some of the changes that I think we saw, we have, I was on something recently. So blizzard warning, you know, there's there's some that argue that blizzard warning or or some of the warnings that we saw for lake effects know that have been pulled back up in those regions some have argued that those have very specific meanings to the people in those specific regions and so by removing them you are you're actually maybe um kind of you know, challenging the message if you will i think there actually is something to that but i am all for the hazard simplification um you know as we saw a couple of years ago here in georgia and atlanta with our two inch snow fiasco uh one of the issues was and actually i will say this even with this most recent snow event the one that we just had a few weeks ago we the national weather service had issued a winter weather advisory for much of the metropolitan atlanta area there were some areas that were in a winter storm watch but what i was finding from talking to my family and friends on facebook they don't seem to pay attention to the winter weather advisory at all even though that we all know that that winter weather advisory advisory carries some snow potential, maybe a half an inch to two inches of potential snow in Atlanta. That's enough to cause problems. But what I've noticed is that unless the National Weather Service here, in, at least in Georgia, says winter storm watch or warning, people kind of blow that advisory off. And so uh, that's what we saw a little bit two or three years ago with our snow fiasco. So I think the more we see social sciences work, I know there are people like Castle Williams, uh, one of our graduate students, Students at Georgia and Kim Glocow and uh, well, she just got married. She's Kim McLean now and Gina uh, Esco and others who are trying to understand. Look, I think we've got the technology that we need to do pretty good weather forecasts now. The models, the satellites, the radar, but we need these social scientists to tell us what colors people respond to. We need people to go out and find where county they are on on a map because we know from research that people can't find their own county on a map, but yet we use county maps to warn. So uh, to, to follow up on your question, hazard simplification project going on. There's a project within NOAA called FACETS, F-A-C-E-T-S, that people should be aware of as well. So uh, all for it. 
Shay, you had a map to uh, pull up here talking about billion-dollar disasters in uh, 2017. This year had a lot of them. Yeah, and I think that map is only through October 6th, right, Shay? Uh, let's see here. Through this is actually through September. Okay, yeah, I saw. <laughs> Excuse me, but yeah, yeah I, I saw a similar one that goes up through October. But yeah, the key point is billion-dollar weather. You know how much, guys? You guys know how much the National Weather Service's annual budget is? Probably less than a billion. <laughs> it's right around a billion. One billion dollars is all we pay for the National Weather Service each year. It works out to a few dollars or, or less per uh, per uh, citizen per year. Yet, yeah, look, count all. Now, these aren't just one billion dollar events. These are just billion dollar plus events. I think the hurricane season alone is going to be a 200 plus billion dollar, just the hurricane season. So look at that. The value of the National Weather Service and the peanuts that we pay for, pay for a new satellite system or a new polar, dual pole radar system versus the cost to society from these things. Now, of course, we can't throw money at it and stop these things. They're going to somewhat happen to some degree anyhow. But the more we can better predict, let's take, let's take, okay, let's just go there. Let's just, can I go there? Can I go there? Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it. Go there. Let's, the hurricane season. I mean, it's not like they were surprises, right? I mean, we were telling people for days that Hurricane Harvey was going to produce 40 to 50 inches of rainfall. Now, I know it was hard for people to fathom. It was hard for me to look at the models and see that it was talking about 50 inches of rain, but it was it, it, the, uh, there was consensus. Hurricane Maria, um, Stevie Wonder could see that that storm was going to hit Puerto Rico and cause damage. So when we have forecasts, we can monetize those and we can reduce lives lost and economic risk. So I'm trying to convey here to your listeners the importance of how this sort of improved forecast ability tracks to save dollars. Because if you got, I'm sure you all saw that the National Hurricane Center issued uh, a statement noting that um, their their for, for hurricane forecast this year is as good as they've ever been on, on average. Something that stands out to me on this map is uh, Colorado hailstorm and Southeast freeze, two events I didn't even know about this year or remember at least. And those are billion-dollar disasters alone in themselves. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's right. And I guarantee you they're, they're billion-dollar events because that, that hard freeze in the southeast, that kills crops. I mean, I mean the, the peach crop in Georgia is vital. I see the little peaches there on the map. The peach crop in Georgia was vital. By the way, the peach crop this year in Georgia was, was toast uh, because it was so warm last, last winter. They need cooler temperatures. But the agricultural impacts of some of these weather events, like a hailstorm, a significant hail event, uh, you know, the hailstorms can, hailstone, uh, hailstorms rather can destroy crops. Certainly they beat down the crops, but they can also cause havoc if you own a car dealership too. Uh, so those are economic impacts that add up if you're sitting there having these hailstones pounding and breaking windshields on cars on a lot. So there are these latent or hidden costs that we see in the, what I would say are the non-telegenic weather events that can still add up. Let's talk about hurricanes for a second. That was a huge part. I know Shea had a, a huge vested interest in his hurricane season. And uh, let's just go back to kind of the forecast. Do you think the forecast for this year were good, great, or uh, kind of average? No, I think they were good. I think I think um, Angela Fritz from Capital Weather Gang, Washington Post, nailed it on Weather Geeks. She made the point that the models were quite good with these storms in the out sort of time periods up through close to landfall. But these are global models. You take, I know the one that everyone comes to mind is Irma. Uh, and you know, sort of Irma, as it may, got closer to Florida, um, you know, at one point there were some suggestions it was going to be an east coast part of Florida storm. Uh, and then it kind of shifted more west. But Angela made the point, we're talking only about 30 to 50 miles here. Because Florida's a narrow coast, I mean, narrow state that goes north-south. So these models just don't necessarily have the skill the skill when you're getting down at that level, um, they're they're pretty good. You go back and look at the track forecast as this thing was barreling across the Atlantic and moving to towards the coast. Man, it was right on. Then we got to start shifting to the the, the H wharf and some of the more fine scale models as we get close. But having said that, and I've I've said this a million times, even with Hurricane Irma when it looked like it was going to be more of an East Coast Florida storm, you still had people evacuating from the eastern part of Florida, like Miami, Fort Lauderdale, over to Fort Myers. 
Fort Myers, guess what? Was still in the cone. It was still, so you had people evacuated from one part of the cone to another part of the cone. And I think that illustrates kind of getting back to what Scotty says, this notion that people have their own interpretations of what that cone is showing us. I personally would have not evacuated to another part of the cone. And that also uh, brings up a good point. You know, we learned a lot from these storms this year, just, just how severe of a rain event that these hurricanes can bring to the coastline. We also saw negative storm surge in Tampa Bay. Um, that was something that a lot of folks, I don't think they were aware that that could happen in these storms. We've seen that here in South Carolina from some of these wraparound winds. Uh, talk a little bit about storm surge flooding, uh, negative storm surge flooding and, and our experiences with those this year. Yeah, a couple of thoughts on that, Shay. On that negative storm surge, those, those really dramatic images we were seeing in the Tampa Bay area. The first thing that came to mind to me is you're right. There, I think a lot of people just were in awe of it and were fearful. I mean, were just inspired by it. But there were a lot of careless acts that I saw. You had people going out. They don't realize that water's coming back at some point. It's coming back with a vengeance. So I think if anything I would say about that, hopefully we can use that as an opportunity to kind of teach about the sort of secondary danger associated with that. The other thing I would say about storm surge that somewhat surprised me this year, I was a little surprised at the amount of storm surge in Jacksonville uh, with Irma. I mean, I, I think that ended up being a significant story this year, the record-breaking storm surge there in Jacksonville and in the downtown into the landing, if you're familiar with the Jacksonville area and down by, uh, the, uh, I guess, Everbank or Evergreen Stadium, whatever the, whatever it's called, Everbank Stadium, I think is what it's called. Uh, I thought that was a significant story considering the fact that the, the storm itself was, you know, sort of more to the west, central part of the peninsula. But, you know, we still saw this significant surge. And, of course, uh, the in effects. We were out, my kids were out of school for three days uh, as the storm transitioned to a tropical storm and moved into Georgia and then veered off into Alabama. So I think it just, I think it reminded us that storm and the entire season reminded people to get over hurricane amnesia really quick because we just hadn't had these kind of landfalling storms or major, major landfalling storms since 05. It also showed uh, the diversity in each storm, how each storm is different. There's no one that is exactly the same. And, and we saw even here in Charleston, South Carolina, we had 10 foot high tide. And that's, I, I mean, that's amazing from a tropical storm force winds extending up to 500 miles away from the center of this thing, all the way up to the Southeast. We had these major effects here and tornadoes and uh, you know, just, it just shows you how, how strong these storms are as a, as a whole from even long distances away. Yeah, I would say, and I agree with that completely, They're all different threats, different personalities to these storms. Uh, with Harvey, for example, I mean, I think what's most memorable, not to take any away from the devastation that we saw from a landfalling Cat 4 storm near Corpus Christi and I guess Rockport, Rockport or whatnot, but I think what's most memorable about Harvey is the rain. And guess what? It was a tropical storm at that point. So it really reinforces the fact that you don't have to have this big telegenic category four storm with palm trees blowing all over the place and reporters ducking from parts of the roof as they're reporting out there. Um, just sustained days of tropical rainfall uh, in Harvey was essentially the second part of the story. That was the other thing that I want to kind of quickly say. Harvey. I think it was difficult for people to grasp because people, and I get, I get, Shay, you're in the coast. I guarantee you most people there in Charleston are sensitized to a Cat 4 storm approaching them because they're thinking about the storm surge and the wind and the tornadoes. Those are the things we think about. And I think that was what we saw with Texas. I think it was more difficult for people to grasp the fact that there was this sort of one-two punch and the second punch was going to be these, this lingering flood storm because I heard people say, well, gosh, we just didn't really think it was going to be this. I heard people in Houston saying, we didn't think it was just going to be like this. Or, but we were saying it was going to be like that. But I just think people, you know, when they haven't experienced something, they, they experience flooding all the time in Houston. So they probably like, yeah, you know, I, I think they had the context of what they've experienced, but they haven't experienced anything like that. And so it's just hard for them to grasp. Hey, Marshall, this is Eric uh, from Memphis, where it seemed that uh, several storms came to die this year uh, as they came inland. We got uh, high winds and a good part of our fall rainfall this year came from yeah. uh, the weakening uh, end of a couple of those storms. I, I wanted to go back Briefly, though, to uh, uh, one of those billion-dollar disasters, which again was the the California um, water issue there in February. Yeah, uh, and it was 
seems really interesting that, you know, for the length of the drought that they had been in for a number of years and, and all of the projections we've seen about how long it would take, you know, of normal rainfall to bring this back. Um, they came back pretty quickly uh, here in February. And, and I thought, you know, if you, if you could comment on that and maybe, uh, you know, what we're what we're seeing here. And I think you've talked about it on, on Forbes before as well, is that we're starting to see more of these um, extreme type events where things are just outside of, you uh, what we typically expect from a major, major storm. Yeah, I think that's the message that gets lost in the whole extreme weather and climate, climate change discussion. I mean, you know, people get get all hyperventilating when you mention these words in tandem. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, we've had floods and droughts before. And, yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, that, we understand that. But what the, what the models and the peer review literature have always said and what's bearing out is that the extremes on both sides of the ledger are, are going to become more extreme. And so when you look at the averages, it might actually look like it averages out. But the extremes are what people feel. I mean, um, people don't like remember the average temperature as much as they remember a heat wave or a cold snap. So it's the extremes that people remember, the droughts or the heavy rain. And so you're seeing these sort of things, these events outside the envelope of sort of average. And, you know, we actually did a study at University of Georgia, Dr. Sergio Bernardes is one of our former PhD students, where he looked at both drought and flood in the Southeast, and he plotted them from like 1800 up to the present. And what he shows, I don't know if you can see this, is that there was kind of this sort of, you get this sort of natural variability because P.S., climate scientists know that climate changes naturally, but you get this natural variability and then it's starting to broaden. So the peaks were getting larger. So both extremes. So that's what, when we talk about the need to understand and plan for our infrastructure or plan for this sort of extremities, if you will, that's kind of what we're talking about. Look at the dam failure up in, uh, I guess, in that part of Northern California because of these rains. Um, that's an infrastructure issue because many of the dams, many of the bridges, many of our city drainage systems, they are engineered under the assumption that it rains like it rained in 1970. And it just doesn't anymore on average for the heavier events. But you're right. We saw this interesting. One of the really interesting things about the whole California in general is you, can't, you had this sort of really bad drought. Then last, in 2016, you had this really wet winter. And so you got some recovery. But guess what that wet winter did? It grew a lot of trees and shrubbery and plants. Then they dried out. And now we're seeing all these fires from the Diablo and Santa Ana winds. So it's just the natural water cycle is essentially a little bit on steroids. And, and we saw a very similar thing with the hurricane season, seeing Maria at 185 miles an hour for an extended period of time. You know, things, yeah. things like that, that that we're not used to seeing. I'm always cautious because, you know, the, you, you know, the, the hurricane discussion, you know, I, I had a lot of reporters calling me up saying, say this is related to climate change. And I was like, no, I can't do that. We need the attribution studies. But I can say I can certainly see some fingerprints of things in there that don't pass the smell test. In other words, um, you know, the, the whole peer-reviewed scientific literature discussion about climate change and hurricanes has never said that there were going to be more hurricanes. I mean, it, you know, there's some have tried to say that. What it has said is when they happen, they're going to have a tendency to be stronger or more intense or linger at higher intensities longer. That's kind of what we saw this year. But I'm, you know, the Carrie Emanuel just came out with a study sort of suggesting that uh, some of the hurricane activity does have some DNA to climate change. But I will say there are a couple of things. You can quote me right here on Carrie Carolina Weather Group tonight, there are a couple of things that I do believe where we do see somewhat conclusively a climate change fingerprint. One is just the fact that we know sea level is rising. I mean, anyone that disputes that or tweets me and disputes that, I'm just going to like completely ignore that because that's just demagogy. That's just ridiculous. Sea level's rising, so these storms are pushing more water in the storm surge when they happen. No, that's not deniable, in my opinion. Secondly, look at Hurricane Ophelia this year. Hurricane Ophelia, there is a peer-reviewed study in the literature a couple of years ago that said that we're going to see more European falling hurricanes because the ocean waters in the Atlantic extending eastward and northward are warmer. The data shows that I'm not making that up to get a grant. 
I mean, I'm not, that's just what the data shows. And so I think, oh, thank you, right on time there. So, you know, I see a little coal pocket there right now, but what we see here, one of the things that we can clearly see, and we can certainly chat about that as well in this image that I guess, I don't know if Shay put that up, who put that up, but we can clearly see the very distinct La Nina pattern uh, there in the Eastern Pacific Ocean as well as the, in terms of the sea surface temperature anomalies as well. But look at the, look at the, the Atlantic and the, uh, the Eastern Northern Pacific, still fairly warm. And I mean, look over there to the Eastern Pacific near Europe, warm water. So Ophelia and other storms are gonna really eventually and continually be feeding off that generation of warm water. I mean, that, that 90 plus percent of the warming that's happening in our system is not in the atmosphere, folks, it's in the, in the ocean. So that heat eventually comes back to the atmosphere. Um, you know, we, we've kind of got into the end of the season. We talked about hurricanes for a minute. And just sum up, I guess, the Atlantic hurricane season in uh, a few words. What stands out as the biggest story of the Atlantic hurricane season? A story of the hurricane season is that, you know, we had one. <laughs> we had a, uh, you know, we had an active season where we had landfall. And we've certainly had seasons in the, even in recent years where we've had hurricanes. It, just the pattern that was setting up, these things were making landfall this year. But I think the storyline is the extremity of the storms that we had. We had, I think, at, a span, at one point, 10 hurricane names, hurricanes in a row. That in itself is a storyline right there. But then when you package that with the fact that you had three history-making, humanitarian crisis-generating storms, I think that's the headline, and that's what I'll remember. So, or you know, let's kind of, I guess, segue to the end of the season. Anything that stands out at the fall or winter months, just to kind of wrap up our conclusion of 2017. I think the, the big story still right now is the, the, the fires out in California, the Santa Ana's. I mean, we get Santa Ana's. I mean, that, that happens. I mean, that's, that's just a part of the natural ecosystem and, and meteorological and climatological cycle. So, I mean, I, that's just the story that has kind of, kind of bookended the year, if you will. Uh, I think we're still on record to be probably the third warmest year on, on record uh, as we end 2017. So that's something to keep an eye out for. And of course, we're sort of in the heart or the peak of the La Nina right now as well. So, I, I mean, I think 2017 gave us the weather variability that we always expect. It gave us the short-term variability in climate that we certainly see La Nina coming into La Nina. And then it gave us plenty of fodder to have discussions about the broader changes in climate as well. So, I mean, I, it's, it's just a conversation that we better get used to having. I think we've got to be careful not to overhype things. Uh, we have to be careful to not sort of sort of say everything is caused by climate change. We have to be careful not to say nothing's caused by climate change. I think the extremes on both sides sound a little ridiculous. But, um, you, know, you know, for the weather geek or the weather buff in all of us, I mean, 2017 was a, a, a very interesting to follow. Um, you know, for the, the technology part of us, I think you hit on this, Ricky, just the, techno the JPSS goes. The, the continued sort of use of dual polarization radar and the evolution of social sciences within our field. I think that's where we're going. If I were to, if you were to ask me to look into my crystal ball for two out 2018 and beyond, uh, I would say that the things that are most on my radar are continued refinement of transitioning some of this social science knowledge into operation, continued consistency and messaging, uh, whether it be from the broadcasters like yourself and stations to stations that I, you know, that I, I might appear on every now and then. Um, so I think that's important. And continued funding of our satellite program and our modeling. Uh, I think this Weather Improvement Act will continue to do that as well. And uh, hopefully, I know it'll ha it won't happen, but hopefully we can stop people from posting 10 and 20 day snowfall forecast on Twitter. Yeah, Is I was going to ask you about that. <laughs> yeah, I was, I was going to ask Dr. Shepard, you know, the state of social meteorology in 2017, um, getting better, getting worse, or just about the same? I mean, it, you know, it, 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 Jared, it's, it is what it is to some degree. Um, you know, I think that, um, you know, it's an interesting, I, I think about this often. I, you know, I, I, I think social media is a net positive for what we do. Um, 
if as long as those of us that are responsible responsible about it can continue to point out the ridiculousness and foolishness that's out there, uh, I think that's important to do. And I think if you know, I think people are starting to develop a a, a, a sixth sense for the, the, the foolishness out there. Uh, yeah, it's still out there, but the more and more we call it out, I think the, the better we'll be. Uh, so uh, I, I think, you know, one of the, do you guys do Snapchat by chance? Shay does. We're trying no, to. No, 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 no. Hold on. I, I know. I, I'm We're so excited to get time. to it. I swear I'm going to get to it because, I mean, not only do we have, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, we have Twitter. Yeah. I mean, what else do you want to throw in the pile of, of a day's work? I mean, well, no, Snapcasting is, is a, it's a growing thing, right? Like, uh, I know we, we kind of make fun of it, but it is actually, it has a great algorithm for getting the entire audience all at one time. That's, that was my point, Shay, because I don't use it either. So, I yeah. But I, I think it, it is one of the, the, you know, it's got these sort of the algorithm that you mentioned. It also has this sort of sort of uh, snap map feature that, can, that people can identify sort of in real time where there's a power outage or flooding. So it has some potential more so than, of course, Facebook, which many of us have railed on as being virtually useless uh, for conveying real-time weather information. I think Twitter's much better than Facebook at that type of thing. But I think Snapchat, from what I can tell, at least, I don't really use it, seems to be even better for real-time. But the problem is, unless you're under 30, you're not using it. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. I mean, I'm generalizing some. I, I know that's what most of the students are using at the University of Georgia. I know that's what my 13-year-old 14 year old daughters using and they need to get weather information too. So, I mean, you know, how are we getting, I mean, I, I don't, I don't know if that's kind of a frontier for weather information because I, I don't, I mean, I, from a social meteorology standpoint or people Snapchatting 10 days, football maps, I don't <laughs> Well, I will say that during Irma uh, in Charleston, snap map was awesome because yeah. I was able to find a lot of flooding video. Um, I put a note in it about that in the weather service chat they called me up and i kind of walked them through a few things they can't not use snapchat operationally in the national weather service but still any intel that's out there is absolutely useful so it's a great point i i know and that's why i brought it up because I, I want even though i'm still i mean i actually do have a snapchat account or whatever you call it but i just haven't entered into it yet but i do recognize and acknowledge that it probably is another useful frontier for us to be on but i would say to just wrap up your to answer your question i think is we we have to be each other's keeper if you will in social media on 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 sort of eradicating the foolishness and dr shepherd i, I know we're closing in on nine o'clock but there's one thing that not really weather wise but it is kind of weather-wise. It had the weather community all in a buzz, and actually the whole country was the great eclipse that occurred. <laughs> and uh, you know that was a that was a cool moment. I think everyone actually could focus on something neat happening and just talk a little bit about that and how that yep. really helped us. You know, helped out. You know, it was cool to see the the satellite images and the temperature differences and stuff like that. Yeah, you have these sort of teachable moments in science sometimes, and certainly the eclipse was that. We we got all into it at the University of Georgia. We had we opened up Sanford Stadium. Uh, we had UGA eclipse glasses. We had 25,000 people in Sanford Stadium not watching a football game. We, we'd have more people than that, obviously, in a game anyhow. But uh, we had 25,000 people sitting there in 90-plus degree temperatures listening to us talk about the science of eclipse and listening to music, eclipse-themed music, and getting uh, free t-shirts that were being thrown into the audience. So we turned a, a, a natural moment into a teaching moment. And I think people all across the, the nation did that. And we weren't even in, in Athens, Georgia, we weren't even at total uh, totality. We were only at 99.1%. Uh, I, I mean, I imagine in some parts of the Carolinas, def, def, Charleston, I know, was definitely in the totality. I know I heard there were some clouds in some parts of Charleston, um, but uh, we certainly saw a really cool event at 99.1%. And if you were, were fortunate enough to be in totality, it was super awesome. So uh, what I would say about that, it was a teachable moment. It was awesome. And it shows that science actually can predict things. That's right. Uh, yeah. Except for that one lady who wanted to move the eclipse because her kids had to go back to school that day. <laughs> I saw that getting around. That was funny. Oh, well, Dr. Shepard, I know it's, it's almost nine o'clock. I know you have to uh, to get out. Uh, but before you do that, what should uh, turn into the weather geeks, something that we all watch and the whole weather community watches? 
Uh, what can we expect in 2018 from you guys? Any yeah. any cool things coming up? Oh, yeah, we do. I can't say about some of them right now, but Weather Geeks is entering its um, – we've done 132 shows, guys. Yeah, it's unbelievable. Um, going into our fourth full year. Um, this, By the way, this Sunday's episode is a repeat, but if you didn't see it, it is must-watch TV. A guy named Lee Orff, a professor who uses these high-resolution simulations of supercells and tornadoes. Uh, the visuals in that episode are unbelievable, so uh, definitely try to catch that if you missed that. That's this Sunday. But yeah, Weather Geeks is gonna, uh, we're gonna we're not gonna be taping at AMS this year. We're AMS meeting. Hopefully, some of you will get the chance to holler at some of you at the AMS meeting. It's in Austin this year, uh, second week of January. I'll be there, uh, and we have taped some shows at the. AMS in the past. We're not going to do that this year, but we're thinking about possibly doing some tapings at um, maybe the AGU next year. I mean, that's not a definite yet, so I didn't break any news, but we're having some discussions about that type of thing. Got some pretty exciting guests on. Um, I can't really mention who some of them are because we like to kind of use some teases. I, I was pretty geeked out a couple of weeks ago because we had Thomas Dolby on. Uh, if you guys remember the song She Blinded Me With Science. He's an 80s song. We'll be for some of y'all's time. But I mean, he, I've always been a fan of Thomas Dolby. So that was one of the tip of the top geek moments for me on the show. But yeah, we're still going strong. Um, nothing's changed about the show. I mean, we we want to do a show that is interesting to the weather geeks. Uh, but what we know is not just weather geeks are watching it. I get people all the time that just are sort of garden variety, Joe and Jane public that say they enjoy the show. So uh, we think we tapped into something that people enjoy. And it's just a part of a broader sort of community, just like you guys, Carolina Weather Group. And shout out to our folks, at, friends at Weather Brains. We're all trying to do the same thing, just nurture our love for weather and, and educate people and get people talk. Marshall, I hope one of the things that you can't talk about that you're going to break sometime is that it will be a one hour show. We're really looking forward to that. You know, you tweet, everybody should tweet Mike Chester at Mike Chesterfield, executive producer and say they want that. And, you know, I think, you know, obviously I think we, we, we know people want it. Uh, it's unfortunately not as, there are a couple of things that are sort of outside of my pay grade. And I don't work in the weather channel. I, you know, that's one thing I have to remind people. I'm actually just a consultant to them. You know, my day job is UGA, but there are some things that are just sort of outside of the pay grades in terms of, we get asked about one hour a lot and we get asked about putting shows online which we started out doing. But from what I understand from the executive producer, there's something about the distribution deal with the cable networks and other things. They don't like that. So they want, yeah, you know, you, you guys can, under, I mean, it's, TV is a business, so I can understand that. But we are there. I, I, I will say this. I know that Mike Chesterville is working on both of those. So uh, stay tuned. Yeah, you've had some great guests this year. Hats off to getting uh, Mark Willis from Surfline on. I think we need more wave action yeah, mark was a great guest too by the way i really enjoyed that show yeah well you know and by the way if you guys or any of the listeners or viewers have any ideas for weather geek shows tweet us shoot us emails there have been several shows that have aired that came from viewer ideas dr shepherd absolute last question that will let you run um how much are our bulldogs going to win by any game predictions you know i'm not going to make any predictions i will say that we're favored right now you know, I'm pretty bummed out. I'm pretty sure we're going to win the game, but I'm bummed out because if we win it and come back to Atlanta to the national championship game, I'm going to be in Austin at the AMS. Oh, oh. Actually, Dr. Shepard, we're not going to let you run yet because we, we, we want the full rundown on, on how James was. Was he a good student? Did he listen? I mean... Oh, James is absolutely amazing. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I think James, we, I had you in my uh, intro to weather and climate class. God, how many years ago was that? Uh, it feels like a long time ago, but oh, you no, know, he was, he was very good. I'm, I'm, I know for a fact he got an A. So, <laughs> so how much did he pay you to say that? He didn't pay me anything. I mean, there's, there, I mean, I'm, and I'm not saying this, I think you guys know me well enough to know that I'm pretty candid. Um, I, I'm not, I wouldn't say this just because I'm sitting there, but he was, I mean, I think that was, I don't remember how large that class was, James, but uh, it may have, it was, it was, was it one of the 80 seaters or one of the, one I was going to say, seaters? it's large enough that I am always impressed with how well you knew everyone's name. Right. I mean, but I definitely knew most people's names, but I definitely there's certain st students that stand out to me. And James was one of those that I knew he'd end up still talking weather later in his life. So, And here we are. Yep. <laughs> well, Dr. Shepard, we appreciate you uh, taking some time out and joining Absolutely, us. Absolutely, guys. Uh, we love our annual visit with you, and hopefully we can go ahead and book you yeah, for it. Let's go ahead and book it and make it an annual thing. We can do that. 
We can do it. Well, we hope you uh, have you and your family have a great Christmas. How can our followers uh, follow you uh, throughout the yeah, year? Sure. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Shepherd 2013. And Shepherd is uh, spelled with PH in there because a lot of people sh- spell Shepherd all kinds of ways at Dr. Shepherd 2013. I've got a public website out there. I mean, I'm at Facebook page as well that people can follow me on Facebook as well. My Instagram, I'm on Instagram, but I've got that shut down. That's mostly for, pro- it's more personal stuff. Uh, and also definitely be sure to follow Weather Geeks at WXGeeksTWC. Um, uh, follow that. Tweet us out there if you got some show ideas. And uh, thanks as always. Keep doing what you guys are doing. Uh, and uh, we'll see you guys uh, next next holiday season. Sounds good. And before, uh, when we see you next year, we're going to expect to see your Snapcast. You and Shay can kind of coordinate that. We'll see if that happens. <laughs> Next year, it'll probably be something else anyway, right? Uh, that's true. The way it goes, that's exactly true. Dr. Shepard, thanks so much. All right, guys. Have a Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to you guys. Happy Hanukkah and all that, too. Yeah, and happy Kwanzaa, all that. See you guys. Bye. See ya. All right. Well, uh, always good to have Dr. Shepard with us uh, here at the Carolina Weather Group. So another, another great show and some awesome information from him. Oh, nobody's going to talk. Nobody's going to follow me up with that. Hey, we got tweeted. <laughs> Yes, we'll we'll get Tweet of the Week going. Is anybody ready? No, not at all. I'm also looking forward to uh, what Shay's got prepared. I think he did some research for us on some other topics. Is that what we're looking at here, Shay? We are looking at the... One of the far, far east sectors of Go 16 imagery, which is fantastic capturing imaging off of the Horn of Africa. So, um... Uh, I'm sorry, this is Western Africa, and this is where the Saharan air layer uh, originates from. So you have low-level jetting that blows sand across the deserts, and it lifts dust up into the atmosphere, up to the mid-levels. And this is what is known as the Saharan air layer. And uh, we are I just found out today that GO-16 will actually go this far east to capture this very well. Up until now, we've only been seeing NASA images of this, MODIS imaging occasionally from time to time. But this is going to be real-time one minute to five or three or five minute imagery. Uh, and it'll give us a better idea of what's going on in this part of the area. For those of you who don't know, sometimes the Saharan area can have an effect on what kind of tropical events come off of the coast of Africa across the Atlantic along the equatorial um, monsoonal trough in the Atlantic. So uh, this will be extremely helpful. You can see the Cape Verde Islands uh, just here to the north. And then here is the Western coast of Africa. So you can see the dust coming off the dust plume. It's gonna be extremely helpful for next year. Looking forward to more from Ghost East. And, you know, we just keep finding more and more stuff. Now that it's operational, we'll we'll find more as it goes along. All right, Shay, good stuff. Let's go to uh, James. I think he's got his pulled up. Yeah, if I can follow, keeping on the uh, topic of satellites here, we did a whole show about JPSS-1. It launched. It's up. Some of the first imagery here from one of those uh, instruments on board showing us uh, that smoke in California that we talked about briefly during our show today. Uh, You can see it there. Some beautiful high-resolution imagery. And uh, I know we touched upon it early on the show, but we are really coming into an amazing age of uh, just outstanding satellite imagery here uh, and really looking forward to that, guys, as we head into 2018. All right, James, thanks for that. We'll go to Jared because I see he has his pulled up. Yeah, this is uh, from Philippe Pepin. I hope I got that right. Um, new PhD uh, from UAlbany, and uh, he does these awesome maps. I, I just, you know, I, you know, I'm a big fan of these guys who really do a good job analyzing maps. You know, the cranky weather guy and and Philippe came on my radar this year uh, during the hurricane season, and so he's got a really cool gift showing these teleconnections um, and uh, 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 vorticity streamers too. That's another thing that he's a very uh, very interested in a uh, PV streamers that he uh, has done research on, and so you can kind of see just how. Uh, basically what he's trying to do here is uh, show us how the cool snap for Christmas and beyond uh, is going to evolve all the way from the other side of the Pacific. So pretty cool stuff. Um, Way smarter guy than I am. Uh, Try to surround myself with those kinds of people. So uh, definitely give him a follow. Uh, Awesome stuff. Yeah, that's really, that's really cool, uh, Jerry, because it's showing the Omega blocks. It's showing Rossby waving and, Mm -hmm. The, uh, the lee side or the lee end of uh, PV streamers. And I think Levi Cowan of Tropical Tidbits has really talked a lot about those during the hurricane in the Atlantic. So yep. uh, really exciting stuff from this gentleman right here. He's really, really cool. Thanks for sharing that. If, if, if you guys want to, we can mess up Ricky right now. I think he's doing a promo. 
<laughs> if we all want to talk, yell Ricky's name. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, Peter, do you have your uh, do you have your tweet of the week up? I do, and uh, just want to give a quick shout out, Cinnabon. You didn't see it to be in the show because we uh, skipped the introductions, but we did have Cinnabon here tonight because it is our last show of 2017. So why not celebrate with a great big pecan Cinnabon? So we'll be Does waiting for the else. Think that Peter's getting a little bit of a cinnamon kickback here someplace. I mean, he must, uh, he's not sharing it with us. I know, where is it? You showed, us, you showed us the Cinnabon earlier. Where is it? Is uh, it's currently in my stomach. <laughs> if you saw me in the little screen at the bottom there, I was channeling down the whole show. So what a, what a, what a blow to the ad that you just <laughs> had it and then you just lost it. Well, you can have the bag if you want. I could send you that. <laughs> anyway, uh, all right, let's get to this tweet. Uh, so if you were uh, with us last week, it, it was like nonstop snowing here for three days or uh, three days last week. But now all the snow is gone just that fast. We didn't have that much anyway. But uh, as you can see on the maps here, we did have about two inches or so all over Philly and the surrounding areas. But now it's all gone. The entire Atlantic and even you guys down the Carolinas all gone, too. So. Yeah, it's been kind of warm around here, 40s and 50s the last couple of days, but it uh, looks like we're going to be getting into that colder weather again for uh, Christmas and beyond. So hopefully we won't get any big snow here, but we'll see. Are you saying we have a chance? Yeah, there is a chance. <laughs> All right, I'll pull up mine. Out before we know it. <laughs> I'll pull up <laughs> mine. Normally we don't do political stuff here, and I, I'm not really doing it, but I wanted to have a fun tweet of the week, so – uh, as you guys know, the big news story, uh, Alabama had a, a Senate election last week. And so in uh, Shelby County, which is Birmingham, there's several write-ins. And I want to say our good buddy James Spann received three write-in votes for a Senate of Al uh, this, for a senator's position in Alabama. So uh, this is my tweet of the week this week from Christopher Side, showing that our buddy James Spann, meteorologist at ABC 3340, got three votes for the Senate race. So good job, James. <laughs> He'd be a good senator. I think he would. I think he would. Ricky, respect or... the electoral polygon. <laughs> I don't know, if Ricky. Oh yeah, Ricky's there. So, Ricky, do you have a tweet of the week? No. No. All right. He's oh, working uh, tonight. Ricky's working tonight. I've got Eric right. up on. Yeah. Eric's got one. So let's yeah. go to Eric. All right. Um, I saw this one come by this week, and it got retweeted quite a bit too amongst uh, people that I follow. And you know, we're always we we're talking about the communication a little earlier, and uh, I thought this was pretty interesting, showing um, what people feel like the actual probability of an event is based on the wording that is used. And we're always trying to get those, you know, those words in there that that will ring true with people. Um, so this this is not a, a sunset picture of the Alps, though it looks kind of like that. Um, but it uh, it does show some. Pretty interesting data, and you'll see right down here around probably not little chance, almost no chance. That's our snow chance for Christmas, right down there, folks. Okay? <laughs> so <laughs> we're residing right down in that area right now, not not all the way down. But, but I saw on Facebook where <laughs> but Eric, how do you feel about that? How do I feel about that? Well, uh, considering we've got another chance late next week. Um, maybe, uh, maybe I feel a little bit better about it. Maybe for New Year's. We'll see. <laughs> that's what I'm saying, Eric. Next week looks interesting. That, that's, that is a statement that I think we can all agree on. Too bad we can't talk about it next Wednesday night. That's right. Yeah, we're going to be off. Well, recap that's, it. That's our show, everybody. That's the Carolina Weather Group for 2017. It's hard to believe we've completed another year. What do you guys think as we wrap up? I know a lot of people want to jump off, but, uh, Kind of comment. What what has this year been like for the Carolina Weather Group? How do how do you think it's went? I mean, we've had a lot of stuff to cover. Something just fell in my room. Is well, it, things are breaking, falling apart. The things are falling apart. Yeah. falling apart. I think you've had a couple of great for panels. five minutes, and then I come back, and this show has gone to the dogs. <laughs> Wait, I'm well, oh, sorry, Ricky. Where reading. did it go? Where did it go, Ricky? To, to the dogs. <laughs> He's right here. Ugh. And recap. Um, no, just, Scotty, just to sum it up, though, I mean, you, you mentioned what has this year been for us. I mean, wow, 200 shows that we got by. It's uh, hard to believe our little weekly weather nerd out has uh, transformed to that. We've welcomed some new panel members. Eric's joined us. Uh, Jared joined us. James has kind of come and go from time to time. 
James, were you on at the beginning of this year? I forget when you joined us. I think this was my first full year. Was it? Yeah. And yeah. Peter, I think it was your first full year too. Yeah, yeah. because we had yeah. you in we had you and Kozer on the bat round this time last year, and that's when we started. Uh, that was two years ago. Two years ago. Then you've been here with two years. Then. I think so. so. Yeah, we got James these sexy new graphics thanks to uh, Jared. Take a look. Aren't they pretty? Yeah. And we, we continue to love Cinnabon. That's yes. right. And we have occasional Starbucks with uh, PDQ for dinner. <laughs> yeah. And, you know. Oh, we can't forget Helicity Designs. Oh, they yeah. They made our first force. In fact, let me see if I can find one. And <laughs> which, which is back now. I got a shirt from them the other day. Yep. All right. I don't know if it's backwards when I put it up in front of the camera, but I do have this. Nope. Uh, good. I like it. So the old Frontalis shirt where fronts come to die in the South. <laughs> so... Absolutely, we got to mention Hilo City Designs. But Scotty, I have to say, uh, I think we've taken it uh, to new levels this year. Honestly, we've we've got some, we've had some really good guests. We always have good guests. Every one of them that comes on, um, you know, we had, uh, you know, Doug Marcy from NOAA come on to talk about sea level rise, a very important topic. That was a really good one. We had Jim Cantori join us for the first time. You know, we had a lot of first time guests. You know, we we've. I think we've had a you know shoot with all the weather events and you know we had uh, John Jensenius with Noah Lightning he's the lightning expert we've had a lot of um, top uh, experts in their fields on on with us this year which is fantastic and I agree I've learned a lot I have learned an absolute amazing amount of information from these gentlemen this year I agree and, I was, ladies, and ladies and ladies I was looking at our list I mean uh, Patrick Marsh you know head of SPC was on our show. Uh, so that was really cool. I think Ricky had to drop because he uh, is doing some promos. But, you know, we always have Levi on every year. Uh, Victor has been on the show, Victor Genesini. We talked about him. Um, you know, we had uh, Ryan Hickman from Allison House always giving us the updates with what's going on there. Uh, we got to talk to the director of the JPSS uh, satellite launch. Mm -hmm. You know, that was really cool, too, with Ms. Dr. Goldberg. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's been a great year and I mean, we've already got guests scheduled for next year. So, uh, it's, it's been pretty cool. And what about our, our frequent guests, the folks who we consistently see on Facebook live and on YouTube, and I'm sure all the folks who download us on, uh, Google play and iTunes, uh, that is, that's incredible. I really love, I love everyone who comes in and tunes in, but I really, really do appreciate those names that are, are, are in the chat each and every week. I yep. agree. We just did one, uh, the meteor shower, the, the Geminids, and we posted that yeah. live. Uh, what was it? Friday night? I can't remember. Oh, that, that was epic. Thank you, NASA. Whoever stuck that camera up in the sky. With rock and roll music, and we had it on all night long, and we had twenty. We had t over 25,000 views on that overnight. And people were chiming in all the way from here to Hawaii. It was amazing. It is really cool. So we'll wrap it up. I know you guys are probably tired of us yapping, but I do want to say I appreciate Eric coming on this year. Uh, Jared, I appreciate you coming on and adding to the show. Ashley Morris, who uh, her uh, computer was doing an update, so she wasn't able to join us tonight. So Ashley, uh, a new panelist with us this year. And then uh, Shay and, and James and Ricky and myself and Peter, uh, you know, we've been here for a while. So uh, we just uh, really appreciate everyone who – uh, joins in with us uh, every Wednesday night, and uh, you know we look forward to doing this thing uh, next year, right, gentlemen? And that is for, absolutely yeah. right. Yep. Are you cutting me out? <laughs> I appreciate you uh, giving the opportunity to be on here. It's uh, I've I've learned a lot in the last few months. I appreciate that, and uh, I encourage everybody to uh, also go check out Stormwatch Plus for your iOS device as well. Uh, coming soon to an Android near you. How about that? All right. News? Is that my Christmas present? <laughs> we're working on it what's That's what's the promotional keyword uh eric is it is it carolina carolina yep stormwatchplus.com slash uh carolina what is it i guess it's slash carolina. yep if that helps carolinaweathergroup.com check out our app there you go <laughs> or and, uh, app that we're promoting that one jared, jared has uh jared you've brought a lot we thank you for the graphics i know you and james have really worked hard behind the scenes yeah. hours of getting that so really cool stuff 
Yeah, no, it's it's been fantastic. You know, I've uh, got to dig back into my media background a little bit and have some fun with that, fuse that with the programming side. You know, I think one big that big thing that stood out this year when we were uh, dealing with Nate and we had those tornadoes for three hours, and I just happened to be on for three hours, and James was my relief, and then all the tornadoes went away. Um, uh, but uh, you know, it's been it, it's been a fantastic uh, you know few months with you guys, and uh, boy, it's blown my mind. That's for sure. So uh, looking forward to uh, getting a full year in and uh, just to continue to grow and and learn. And uh, it's still just it, it's amazing to be with you, you guys every Wednesday night. It's a lot of fun. It is. We, we have fun. It's hard to believe we do this. Like, I mean, I know we may take off one or two Wednesday nights a year, but, uh, you know, you guys are all like we're all like family. You know, we all get to come together on Wednesday nights. So uh, cool stuff. So, uh, James, you're heading up to New York. Mm-hmm. That's, That's right. I was just going to say we're off next week, Scotty. But you know, folks, we are here. We are keeping an eye on uh, that those those winter forecasts you may or may not be hearing about. Uh, so if we need to uh, come out of the woodwork, come off from our vacation to debunk anything or to keep you informed of a situation that is developing, we will be here. We will, and James will be ready with his power outages. That's right, <laughs> county by county, from west to east. <laughs> How it's going to roll, baby. Oh, gosh. Well, everyone, we hope uh, you guys have a happy holidays. Uh, stay safe out there. Enjoy your time with friends and family. Uh, like James said, we won't see you next week, but we'll see you uh, January 3rd for uh, a new year of Carolina Weather Group. So until then, happy holidays. Stay safe, and we'll see you next year. Yep. Merry Christmas, everyone. Merry Christmas.